Well, it is good to be with you today. I welcome you. want to uh, welcome you from wherever you may be joining us from. We're grateful that God would, would bring us together for his purpose today. Maybe if you're early on in this experience with Heart of Life, you wonder, hey, what, what are these people really all about? And I'd love for you to know, we believe that God loves all people. We think he's clear on that. We believe that God loves all people and that he has brought us into that reality. And what I mean by that is not only has he loved us and brought us into his family, but, but he has also empowered us to communicate this truth of his love to everyone. That is what we're about. And so I, I want to take just a minute before we dig into the text today and just thank a, a lot of you who did just that over uh, the last several days, over this weekend, you took advantage of some really cool events in a number of communities where Heart of Life is planted. The ladies, for example, ladies' ministry, they, they did a huge clothes giveaway at Garden City. Giving away clothes. Why would we give away clothes? Because there are people who need clothes. And if we give away clothes, it provides an opportunity for us to declare to them, did you know there is a God who loves you and a God who meets needs? That's why they do it. The, both the, the Lewisburg gathering and, and the Harrisonville gathering, they each took advantage of some, some festivals that were going on in town, uh, people just making the prep, setting up some booths, having conversations, building relationships. Why? Because you never know how a conversation or a kind act will lead somebody to eventually embrace the truth about who Jesus is. Because this is what we know. God is doing extraordinary things in the world. Now that alone is worth celebrating. But it gets even better, and he invites us to join him. Folks, we believe that with all of our heart. God is doing extraordinary things in the world, and he invites us us to join him. Most people tend to wake up in the morning and ask the question, what are my plans today? But some of you know, and I'm praying that by the time we're done today, even more of us know there is a better question with which to start the day. The question better than what are my plans today is, God, what are you planning today and how can I join you? Because what God is planning is always better than what I'm planning. What God is planning is always bigger than what you're planning. And I know you're going to say to me, but Jeff, I got to go to work. And I would say, yes, you do. But did you know that God wants to do extraordinary things in the lives of the people that you work with? And that he has invited you into that because you work there. 
You say, I got to go to school. I know. And I'm telling you, you don't have to wonder whether or not God wants to do extraordinary things in your school, on your team, in your classroom. And he has invited you to join him in what he wants to do there because you are there. This is where I want to take you today, an extraordinary life. And when I say extraordinary life, I'm talking about a life on mission with God who is doing extraordinary things. An extraordinary life is less about you planning and it's more about you preparing with an underlying quality that we're going to find in the story that we're going to look at together today. Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick this story up in verse 6. Let's just read for a second and then I'll set the stage for you, all right? Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been, you ready for this? I highlighted it for you so you wouldn't miss it. Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Let's keep going. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. I highlighted it again for you. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, when we get to chapters like chapter 16 in Acts and we're reading about all these places, I don't know about you, but for me, it helps to get some visual on it. Like, give me at least a little bit of a, of a geography piece so I can at least get my head around what is going on in this story. And so that is exactly what I want to give you today, all right? So I, I'm going to back up a little bit and say the last time that you and I got to be together, in Acts chapter 14, we saw Paul come to the end of what's called the first missionary journey. Remember, he had gone to some towns like, like um, Lystra and Derby and Iconium, right? Some of those, they were the places where, for example, they stoned him, remember, and they thought he was dead. They throw him outside the city. Paul gets up and he walks back in. Crazy stuff. So he starts in Antioch. He makes the loop and he comes back to Antioch, and that's where we left him last time. Chapter 15 is what's called the Jerusalem Council. The big question they're wrestling with is, what is really required for a person to be right with God? Like, Jesus plus what? And the answer is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. That's the answer that they arrive in. You don't have to become a Jew or anything else in order to become a Christian. You come to Jesus, all right? Well, now in chapter 16, they're ready to roll again. They've wrestled with this matter. It's time for them to move again. And so you've got Paul and his companions who are beginning to make the trek again. And we're told in the story that they start by going back through some of those cities where they have already planted churches. The Bible describes it as strengthening those churches. But now 
they are ready to tackle some new territory. And Luke makes it really clear in this passage. It is God who determines the direction that Paul and his team go. Paul is standing at this place where he realizes he's already been to the east. To the south, we got water. And so in his mind, it appears to be that his best option is to move to the west. But what the text tells us here is as as he tries to move toward what is called Asia, which we're talking about Asia Minor here, that the Spirit shuts the door. Now, most of the time when we talk about doors shut, we tend to talk about an enemy who shuts doors. Luke's really clear here. The Spirit somehow, and we don't know the details of that. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but, but he shut the door. So, Paul's like, well, if I can't go west, then perhaps I can, I can head somewhat north then. And so it talks about trying to enter, right, by Bithynia. And, and, and again, it says that the Spirit does what? Shuts him down. The Spirit of God says, no. This is the point at which most people I know would find the most comfortable chair that they can find and declare so that everyone's really clear, I tried. I tried. I I really thought that God wanted us to go this direction, and, and I tried, and he shut it down. In fact, we tried again, and he shut it down. And most people I know, this is where they find their comfy chair, and they kick back in the comfy chair and just go, I guess, I guess we just aren't supposed to do the mission that he called us to anymore, but not Paul. Because what we get in this story is that Paul does a little, a little wiggle, if you will, between Bithynia and what would be known as Mycia in here. He does this little wiggle and he, in a thin line and he ends up at this place called Troas. I want you to know, you see this, this nice, smooth arc of a line, if you will? Isn't that a nice, smooth journey? Can I tell you when you actually read the story, that isn't what the line looks like. It doesn't look like a line that goes from from Iconium and Antioch and a nice, smooth stroll. They end up in Troas. No, it it, it goes this way, and then it it turns this way, and then it comes back this way. We got some zigs and some zags that are actually what this line will look like. And I mean, we don't even know what all the details are. We don't know everything that they went through. We don't know, right, all that it would have cost them and all the, the hardships that would be involved. We just know that eventually they end up in Troas. And I'm going to go ahead and show you this. Over here, you'll see the word Macedonia. Here's Troas. Here's Macedonia. That's important for what we're about to read. Let's pick it up in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him. So from Troas... God gives him this dream. Come over here to Macedonia and help us. 
After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Let me call a timeout right there. You see that we? That's the first we in Acts. Now, who's writing Acts? Dr. Luke. And apparently, this would lead most scholars to believe somewhere at Troas is suddenly where Luke becomes a part of this journey because all of a sudden the language becomes we. Now, again, we don't know how that happened. It's like, what happened in Troas? Did Paul suddenly have a flare-up and needed some urgent care? And guess who he met? Dr. Luke. I don't know. I don't know how that came together. It just seems to be that at Troas, Luke suddenly becomes a part of the story, and this is the first time, and then from now on, the story is we. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God, from Troas, gives Paul clarity through a dream. So I'm going to ask the question, because I know you want to. Couldn't God have given Paul the dream back in Antioch? You know, like when they first left on on this second missionary journey, trying to figure out where to go? Like before they tried to go west, and he's like, no. And and then they try to go north, and he's like, no. And then they turn again and try to wiggle. Like wouldn't, wouldn't it have been possible that God could have just given him the dream from the beginning of the journey and avoided all of this wandering in the wilderness? Yeah, he could have. But it is because of what we read here and because of the evidence of Scripture that I'm going to show you a few other spots, I want us to consider a few questions today. First question, could it be that what God is building in us requires the opportunity to just stay where we are? Could it be that God is actually building something in us? Like, not only is this story about how the Spirit of God directs people, which he does. He gives directions, he speaks, sometimes even through dreams. But what if this is even bigger than the fact that God can direct where he wants us to go? What if this is also about the case that God at the same time is building something inside Paul, building something inside this team, building something inside of us that it requires the opportunity to stay where we are. Because could it be that God is looking to work through people who refuse to be left behind in what he's doing? Could it be that God is looking to work through people who refuse to be left behind in what he's doing? And that requires, therefore, an opportunity to stay behind. It requires an opportunity to to just stay 
where you are. I'm not talking about turning your back on God in the sense of suddenly tearing off into this destructive life. I'm saying just choosing to not go forward. Because come on, does anybody question whether or not Paul is committed? My goodness is the man committed. He's committed than most anybody else that we know. Has he not sacrificed enough? Yeah. I mean, who are we going to pick that sacrificed more than him besides Jesus? Who are we going to pick that sacrificed more than him for, for this mission? Come on, Paul has already done more than anybody else has been willing to do. So there's the opportunity to just stay. I have seen this more times than I can count. When I have watched someone who feels that God is leading them to do something. And anytime we tend to sense that God's leading us to do something, it's big for us. When God's leading you to do something, it feels like me. It's something that's big and it's something That's beautiful. And I have seen it over and over again. When that vision doesn't happen immediately, which sometimes can be interpreted that I, right, didn't didn't push the the vision forward enough or the the leaders of the church don't, don't make it happen right quickly enough. I have seen it more times than I can count. Somebody will give up and the language becomes, well, I thought that's what God wanted me to do. But I just kept hitting these closed doors. We tend to always say, ooh, the enemy's at work. And sometimes he is. But sometimes, what if it's so that it's also God at work who is providing the opportunity for somebody to stay where they are because God knows what it's actually going to take for that person to follow through with what he's called them to do is there's got to be something that happens in their heart that is a refusal to be left behind in what God is doing. And that an obstacle here or there, a closed door here or there, is not going to stop. I have also seen what happens when people don't give up on the vision, even when it doesn't end up looking exactly like we thought. Last week, you heard from Kevin right? That's a man who wants to live the mission. You, you could hear the passion in his heart, man. It's been like 15 years that, that we have started walking that Togo road. If I'm remembering all that correctly, though, can I tell you that Togo's in West Africa, in case you don't know. And if I'm remembering right, when we first started having conversations and we first started praying about where God was sending us there, we, we kind of had this leaning and thought it was South Africa. In case you don't know it, South Africa and West Africa are like a long way away. 
it's almost further from West Africa to South Africa than it is from West Africa to here. I mean, it is a long way. Like, we, we were kind of off on that. Man, I'm glad that we didn't just throw in the towel because South Africa didn't seem to, it wasn't the place. I, I reminded you a couple of weeks ago, I mean, we, we have a, just such a, a beautiful opportunity of relationship with a number of people in Taiwan, that those relationships not, not only allow us to do ministry in Taiwan, but they also are key to allowing us to spread out over a number of other Asian countries. Did you know that we ended up in Taiwan because our goal was we were headed to China? And the door shut. The door shut. What if sometimes closed doors is actually God growing you in the very quality that he knows is necessary for you to do what he's calling you to do? It brings us to this place of realizing, if I get this done with him, this is not about my intelligence. And this is not about my talent level. It's honestly not even about opportunity and environment. There is this underlying quality that God wants to build in you that that you just refuse to be left behind in what he's doing. Let me give you another story. I love this story from from the Old Testament, and I, I think it's a story that mirrors these very principles that we're learning today. It's a story out of 2 Kings chapter 2, and I'm encouraging you to write it down because you can read it later. I'm not going to read it to you now. I'm going to tell you the story, but you can read the story later just to get the whole picture of exactly what's going on there. Two prophets are involved, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is God's prophet. I mean, he, he as a prophet, unlike most any prophet that they had seen up until this time, Elisha has been called to follow Elijah. And, and so he, he's been following him now for probably five, six years. This is the story. It's time for God to take Elijah to heaven. And God is going to do that in a whirlwind, which... I'm saying if it's okay to ask God how to go, that is not a bad way to ask God how to go, right? It's like I'd either kind of like to go sleeping or a whirlwind. That would be kind of cool, all right? And so the, the message is God is about to take Elijah to heaven. Elisha, therefore, who has been following all of this time, man, things are about to change. There's a conversation that happens. I'm just going to give you really the four main statements that, that, that happens. This, this is how it goes. Elijah says to Elisha, the one who's following him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Okay? God's about to take me home. Elisha, stay here. Elisha's response is this, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Translate, if God's going there and you're going there, I'm going there. And then it says, and they went. 
Now, when they get to Bethel, the story is there is a company of prophets. So there's some other prophets who are in and around this time. And this is what they say to Elisha. Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? That, that's, not, that's not kind. You know what I'm saying? They're like, do you realize? And I don't know if this is jealousy because Elisha is the one who was willing to walk with Elijah and you got these company of prophets and maybe they're going, hey, come on, how come we're not the ones? I don't know, but do, it's kind of like them saying, hey, Elisha, you realize this is the end of the road for you. And we're told that Elisha's response is, yes, I know, so be quiet. Now, I grew up, little kid, in the South. And in the South, there are just some manner things that, that come with that. <clears throat> yes, ma'am, yes, sir, we did all that kind of stuff, um, and we meant it. Um, but we were also taught, I can remember growing up, like as little kids, like you don't say shut up. You don't say shut up. You don't tell people shut up. There's just a, a rudeness to that. You don't say shut up. But I think what Elisha says here is shut up. I think that's exactly what he's saying here, shut up. And I'm just going to drop here for you today, sometimes you got to learn to say shut up to the voices who are trying to convince you that God is finished with what he wants to do through your life. Sometimes you got to say shut up to the, to the voices who are trying to say to you, this is the end of the road. God, God, God's done with you. There's, there's not any more story for you. Well, again, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a, of a map picture here because I think it helps us understand what goes on in this story. What I just described to you started over here at Gilgal, and it's at Gilgal where Elijah says, hey, I'm going to Bethel. You stay here. Elisha's like, uh-uh. I'm not staying, I'm going with you. And when they get to Bethel, that's where the company of prophets say, hey, you do know this is the end of the road for you, Elisha. And he says, shut up. But here's how the story goes. Then Elijah at Bethel says to Elisha, stay here, God is sending me to Jericho. Anybody want to guess what Elisha says? I ain't staying. He's like, if God's going and you're going, then I'm going. I ain't staying. And again, it says, and they went. When they get to Jericho, the company of prophets, guess what they say? Elisha, do you know that, that this is the end of the road for you? Do you know that Elijah is about to be taken out? And you know what he says? Shut up. And from Jericho, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here because God's calling me to the Jordan. That would be the Jordan River that's running right down through here. And Elisha says, no, I ain't staying. I'm going with you. An invitation to stay where you are 
just in case you're not ready for more. Again, not a, not a decision to stay that means this horrible, destructive life. Just an invitation to not go forward anymore. Because come on, Elisha. Man, you're committed enough. None of these other prophets, this band of prophets, none of them are following Elijah in that way. None of them have given the last five, six years of their life. Come on, you, you have sacrificed enough. You, you deserve to just settle. You deserve to just stay. You, you have done more than any of these others would ever do. An invitation to say. Well, the story is when they get to the Jordan, the company of prophets stand at a distance and they watch what happens with Elijah and Elisha. And the story is Elijah takes his cloak, he strikes the water with his cloak, the water of the Jordan parts, and he and Elisha walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side, and the question that Elijah asked him is, Elisha, before I go, what can I do for you? And the response from Elisha is, man, I want a double portion of your spirit. I, I, I want to see, right, double what, what, what I have seen, right, God do in you. And basically, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this for you, and you can, you can read the story. That's why I'm telling you, 2 Kings chapter 2. But Elijah basically says, you know what, that's up to God. That's up to God. Elijah is taken up in wind and fire, but as he is, his cloak falls to the ground. Elisha picks up that cloak. He strikes the water of the Jordan, saying, where now is the God of Elijah? And the story is that the water parts, just like God did it for Elijah. What is Elisha saying in that moment? I, I think there's something of God. Are you going to be God to me like you were God to him? God, I saw what you did through Elijah's life. I followed him because he's following you. Now he ain't here, so it's just me and you. And I'm saying, God, now I'm believing not because of what he believes, but I want to believe because you are my God. If God knew that all of that was going to happen that way, which you understand when I say if, I'm saying since God knew it was all going to happen that way, then why did God make Elisha walk through all the invitations to stay. Could it be that what God is building in us requires the opportunity to stay where we are? Because could it be that God is looking to work through people who refuse to be left behind in what he is doing? I want you to know that is much of the why 
that God has blessed Heart of Life Church throughout all these years. It's because there are people among us who refuse to be left behind in what God is doing. Heart of Life has developed somewhat of a reputation when it comes to the mission of God. I'm not taking credit for that. I'm just telling you it exists. Heart of Life has developed a a reputation when it comes to being on mission. And the reason that has taken place is because I'm telling you there is a group among what is known as Heart of Life, they think and they act in that way that refuses to be left behind in what God's doing. Even this week, I got word that we were approached about an opportunity to go to the Texas border and do ministry at the border of Texas and Mexico. Anybody know anything going on there? Now, here's all I'm saying. When people are desperately trying to find what it means to belong, what an opportunity to speak into those lives about a king of the universe who says to them, I want you. I want you. Regardless, honestly, of where they they land in this temporary life, to hear that the king of the universe says, I love you, and I understand where you are in in a struggle, and I want you to know how far I've gone for you that you might be with me. It it might not surprise you to know that call came to Kevin. And I thought that was interesting timing on God's part this week. Since Kevin stood before you last week and you heard his heart, you want to know why the call came to Kevin? Because the caller knew he was the kind of guy who would understand such a mission. And was the guy who wouldn't say first why we couldn't, (laughs) what would would be the kind of guy who would go, hmm, why not? How can we join God in what he might be doing in a most bizarre circumstance? I see this with some heart of life people like Kevin who just keep kicking in doors, man. Sometimes they just keep kicking in doors. Doors look like they're closed, and they just keep kicking doors until they open. I have watched this over the years with people who keep kicking doors when it comes to Project Nick shelters in some crazy parts of the world. But there are people who just keep pushing. They just keep pushing on doors. Some of those doors close. They just keep pushing in the next direction. I have seen this with Heart of Life people right here at home 
who are constantly kicking doors. They are pushing in on doors, seeing mission sites start in some new towns around us, seeing Bible studies start in some new towns around us. And and the reason is they just refuse to be left behind. It's like I'm not going to miss out on what I know that God wants to do around us. They just keep going again and again. Which leads me to one more question that I want you to ask of yourself. Does God think about calling on me when he wants to do something extraordinary in the world? Because he knows I refuse to be left behind. Now here's what I mean by that. People already think of heart of life this way. My question is, do they think of you this way? And I'm going to give you this news. If people don't think about you that way, then it is most likely God does not think of you that way. So how do you? Well, it starts with the invitation. The invitation of a God who says, I am doing extraordinary things. I am doing supernatural things. Here's where it starts. You start to say yes. (laughs) You just start to say yes. You you see a, a possibility of where God might be working, and you go, yes, that is where I want to leverage my life. That's where I want to leverage my time. That's where I want to leverage my resources because this is not about how intelligent I am. It is not about how talented I am. It is not even about the opportunity or the environment. It is a refusal to be left behind in what God's doing. And so many times I have met people that I thought could be the movers and shakers in the kingdom of God because they look so incredibly talented, right? So so much intelligence, and it looked like, man, they could just shake the world, but they end up settling for less. Not always tearing off on some destructive life pattern, just settling for not moving forward. So many times, it seems like that comes out of fear. Sometimes it's what I call the fear of missing out, which is really just the evidence for misguided priorities, if you will. It's people not understanding what's most valuable. How do you compare a God who is speaking into people's hearts, who who is forgiving sin, putting hope where there was no hope, a God who is transforming people's lives. But we live in a culture that is afraid uh, to commit to anything in the sense that we're afraid to miss anything. That's why it's such a struggle to get people to even sign up for anything. Have you noticed that? If you're a part of trying to get people to sign up for something, nobody will do it. You know why? Because they're all waiting until the last minute in case something better comes along. And I'm saying in that quality of our culture, isn't it strange that the one area that we ought to be most fearful of missing out, which would be missing out on the extraordinary things that God wants to do through our lives, we miss it. 
because of fear. Sometimes I think it's the fear of not being the one in control, which is tied to a fear of failure. And man, it breaks my heart, especially, and I'm saying this, this can happen at all ages, but it breaks my heart to watch the wrestling match that is happening in some of, uh, especially the younger generations of just this fear of failing. And we want to play it safe, therefore, and so we rarely take a risk that, that may result in some consequences that we can't control. So we, we want to live planned lives and then act as if that's how God moves according to our plans. And so some of you know what I'm talking about because this is the pattern of life that you have begun to experience. You make plans and God unravels your plans. And and when he unravels your plans, it feels like a closed door. And so when it feels like a closed door, you will interpret it as failure. And because you're afraid of failure, it will end up just causing you to find the most comfy chair that you can find and just calling it good because obviously God's not opening doors. Listen, you cannot plan an extraordinary life, but you can plan your way right out of one. Oh, but when you don't quit, when you have gone through enough doors being shut that you look at things that people call failure and your response becomes failure, I'm not afraid of failure anymore. You know why? Because every failure that I've seen, it's temporary. It's temporary. This, this felt like failure in a moment. It, it, we thought this was the thing. We thought this was the and uh, It's temporary. There is no way that I'm going to let something temporary stand in the way of something eternal. And that eternal thing is I'm going to join God in what he's doing in the lives of people. I'm not going to let failure stand in the way of an extraordinary life. A life on mission with God who is doing extraordinary things. This is less about you planning. This is more about you being prepared with this underlying quality that I refuse to be left behind in what God's doing. Some of you are with me on this. I I don't mind telling you. I want God thinking about me when he wants to do something extraordinary in the world around me. Like I want him to know he can can call on me and that I'm not going to be the guy who comes up with 20 reasons why I can't. But that I'm going to be a person who says, okay, why not? That God knows that I just will not stop. I I want my life to be in a position where where I can just move wherever he's moving. And for us today, this is less about something geographical. It's more about situational, whatever the situation is. So God, I want to handle my money in such a way that whatever you tell me to do with it to further your kingdom, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to handle my time in such a way that God, whatever you tell me to do with it, as I am moving with you, that's what I want to do. So some of you, are familiar with um, 
maps, like you, you, you use Google Maps. You know what I'm talking about? Google Maps, use it on your phone, whatever. You know what a pin drop is? You know, you're, you're, you're somewhere on the map, and maybe you don't even know the exact location, and you can actually drop a pin. I want to be the pin drop for wherever God is doing extraordinary things. Like, I want to be so okay with not ever quitting, moving forward on the mission that when people ask the question, where is God moving? Like, I want to be one of the pin drops where they go, well, where is Jeff? Because that guy just is relentless. He refuses to be left behind in what God's doing. Some of you can relate to what I'm saying, and my prayer is that today you are encouraged to continue to push on the doors, to continue to run out this mission. One of our strategies as a church is to provide opportunity for you to start saying yes to the invitation. So we provide opportunities for you to start saying, yes, I want to join God in where he's working. I I need to do that with, with other people so that that will grow in you this aspect of you will start to say yes to where God is working in in your everyday individual life. So, for example, you heard, I think last week, the call to the Argentine mission, right? Looking for some families to serve in the Argentine area of of Kansas City, Kansas. There's some, some projects that families can do together. The next opportunity is the 16th. Not far away. It's $20 a person. It's $50 a family. You say, oh, there's a cost? There's a cost because there's a meal that's provided for you and your family during that day, and that cost goes toward some of the supplies of the projects that you'll get to be a part of on that day. Some of you as parents, you are serious about putting your families in a place to join God in what he's doing. This for you, (laughs) this is a pitch right down the middle. You know what I'm talking about? It's the pitch that we're hoping Salvi sees today. Am I correct? We want Salvi to see some pitches right down the middle today so that he can get at least one more home run and just own that record by himself, right? Looking for a pitch right down the middle. I'm telling you that when it comes to joining God where he's working, this is a pitch right down the middle that you can say, me and my family for 50 bucks and less than 45 minutes away can be a part of some third world mission type moments and by nighttime, you're back in your bed asleep. It's a pitch right down the middle that if you are that person that God needs to begin to move toward, yes, yes, I will join him where he is. This is one of those moments that you will learn a lot from this experience. You will grow in your boldness from this experience. And the prayer is that you will start to make then personal everyday decisions of I'm gonna join God where he's working today. I'm gonna give you an example of that. He'll never tell you, so I'm gonna tell you. Um, 
Peter is a guy that um, teaches God's word to you every once in a while, and um, he's a pastor at Heart of Life. I, Peter is a um, creative dude. Um, makes me sick because he can like sing and he can play and he can paint. Like nobody should be able to do all that stuff, right? And communicate, but he can paint. Um, he and Grace have put together a cool project right now. Um, some really cool stuff that you're going to see coming out, um, even available for this next year, just using their creativity and just beautiful stuff. He paints. He can paint at home. But I know one of his strategies. He will go to the coffee shop and paint. And you know why he goes to the coffee shop and paint? Because there's people there. And he believes that today might be the day that God turns an ordinary coffee shop into a supernatural, extraordinary moment where a life could be changed forever. So he paints in the coffee shop. And then conversations start, a conversation that leads to Jesus. And you never know if it's going to be something that God does immediately or you never know if it's going to be something that that God does down the road. But what just seems like an ordinary day, it's the opportunity to say, man, what might God be planning in this coffee shop today? I'm going to paint there and join him in what he's doing. When I go to New Orleans, which I like to do every once in a while just because I'm a Cajun food kind of guy, one of my favorite cafes um, in New Orleans is a pretty well-known cafe. It's called Cafe Du Monde because I love Cafe Du Monde coffee, um, and the beignets there are phenomenal, all right? Um, Beignets, if you don't know it, are these heavenly puffy donuts that are covered with heavenly white powder sugar that is just heavenly. And so sometimes, sometimes when I get off the plane and actually get my rental car or whatever it is, the first place that I stop might be Cafe du Monde, right? I am also a fan. My favorite artist in New Orleans is an artist by the name of Himmerling. Um, William Himmerling um, was his name. And, uh, when my wife and I go, sometimes we will try to find um, a print. We'll get a new print that Himberling has done. Um, the, the real things are pretty steep, and so we go for the prints so that we can have more of them, and we like to hang those just in our house, and I, I'm a fan of that. Well, there's one place where my favorite cafe and my favorite artist in New Orleans meet. It's in one painting, and this is the painting that Himmerling did. Up here it says Café du Monde. But here's how it reads. It seemed like an ordinary day until I had coffee with Jesus at the Café du Monde. And the first time I saw that painting, I absolutely fell in love. Like this is what I'm talking about. Something happens in Mr. Himmerling's life where he, 
It's just an ordinary day at the Café du Mont until Jesus is there. And then apparently it's not an ordinary day anymore. And what I want you to know is that is exactly what our God is up to every day, every single day that he gives us breath, every single day that he gives us life. It looks like an ordinary coffee shop until Jesus shows up, and it's not ordinary anymore. It, it, it looks like an ordinary ball game until a conversation happens in the stands that provides an opportunity to point to the one who, who provides all hope and suddenly it's not an ordinary game anymore. It looks like an ordinary classroom. It looks like an ordinary trip to the grocery store. It looks like an ordinary afternoon in the park. No, for we who follow Jesus, we know that at any given moment, it's not ordinary. It becomes something extraordinary when a God who is reaching down, seeking people who he desires to make his family, he is loving, he is communicating, and he invites us to join him. And suddenly it's not an ordinary anything anymore. Certainly not an ordinary life. Well, let me read you the end of the story, at least in this part of the story of Acts. This is what it says in verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. And when you read the rest of Acts chapter 16, Lydia comes to Jesus. Right? The, 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 the Philippian jailer comes to Jesus. You got these beautiful stories Beautiful stories of God doing extraordinary things. And I just want you to see, once God is clear on the direction that he wants Paul to move, the boat is provided, the wind is favorable, and Paul begins the journey of taking the gospel into Europe. What an extraordinary story. What an extraordinary life. A life on mission with God. Much less about planning. Much more about preparing. This underlying quality that I refuse to be left behind in what God is doing. So today, will you begin to say yes? Yes, to the invitation. It does not require that you have to wait to say yes to a trip to Togo. It's will you say yes today to whatever circumstance you're in, recognizing that God is desiring to do extraordinary things with you. Can you see that if there's a battle in all that, it's God growing you. 
He's growing you for what he knows you need in order to actually do what he's planting in your heart. Before I pray, I just want to speak one second to those of you who maybe you're listening to everything that I'm saying today, or at least some of it. And you hear me say extraordinary life. And you would be willing to say, you know, Jeff, I I really have, for quite a while now, just I have this feeling that there's more to life than what I have. That is a conversation of your conscience with God. A conversation of your soul with God. And I want you to hear what God says back to you. He says, you're right. He says, I love you. He says, you are more valuable to me than you can right now comprehend. And he says, I want you to come to me and find life. My prayer today is that you will take that step toward Jesus. He will forgive sin. And he will put his arms around you. And he will bring you in. Those are the supernatural, extraordinary things that are exactly why I refuse to be left behind in what he's doing. Let's pray. God, I pray for those who have been a part of living out exactly what we have read about today. God, people who have been a part of Heart of Life who just have this quality that you have built in them, a quality that you have grown in them that they just refuse to give up, refuse to stop, refuse to be left behind in what you're doing. God, I pray today that you would encourage their hearts. God, whatever ministry they may be involved in, God, whatever mission you've called them to, whatever mission site, God, whatever that may be, today might you use this time together that you would cause their heart to soar because they can see even clearer today, God, you are the God who does extraordinary things. God, I pray for those who need to take a first step. I pray for those who need to hear the invitation again to say yes. I pray for those who battle with giving 20 reasons why they can't. God, today might they see who you are and what you do and realize it is worth every ounce of the struggle and the battle. God, I pray for those who need to come for you to, to you for the first time. God, I ask today, as you speak, that you will open our hearts, help us to hear, and give us faith to step. I thank you for what you've shown us today. Help us to believe who you are. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing, but also invite you to respond. We're going to be available here in this room. 
There will be people available in each of the sites and campuses today. You need somebody to pray with, we'd be honored to do so. Let's stand. We'll sing it together.